Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Miami Valley Miami Music Valley Fest, Fest 2015. 2015. One of the best music festivals around returns July 30th to August 2nd, 2015 to showcase local and regional talent in the name of raising money for charity. The Miami Valley Music Fest is located at the Troy Eagles Campground at 2252 Troy Urbana Road in Troy, Ohio. The Miami Valley Music Fest is only 33 minutes north of the historic Oregon District The Miami Valley Music Fest is an annual festival held in Troy, Ohio that combines art and giving, showcasing the region's best musicians and providing grants to regional charity organizations. Some of the artists performing this year are Shrug, Cricket Bows, Paging the Bel Airs, Lost on Eddings, and Magic Jackson. Please go to MiamiValleyMusicFest.com to purchase your tickets now. Come camp, hang out with friends, listen to some great music, and come to the Gym City Podcast booth for a chance to be on the podcast, as well as pick up some Gym City Podcast merch. The Miami Valley Music Fest, where charity rocks. Uh-oh, here comes trouble. Hey, what's up? This is Tom Segura, and you're listening to Easy Rock from the Hard Side Podcast. Hey, this is Brendan Walsh, and you're listening to Izzy Rock on Tales from the Hard Side. Hey, These are Tales from the Hard Side, painted so vivid, kicking real life stories, not woven or knitted. Izzy Rock brings that rawness to all who listen, dropping heavy knowledge, knowledge, and sharing some wisdom. Going down that rough road only makes you tougher. It's a beautiful struggle, sometimes we suffer. Let the people know you aren't in this alone. This talk is deep, it cuts down to the bone. No fakeness here, this as real as it gets. Hazardous on the mic, kick it live and direct. Spread that vibe everywhere, all across the globe. The idea's real simple, that's no secret code. Reach out to the people, spread that positive energy. Cause we're all looking for a little bit of serenity. Whatever little part of this planet you live in. These tales from the hard side are now transmitting. Transmitting. What's up everybody? Welcome to episode 177 of Tales from the Hard Side. I'm your host, Izzy Rock. This episode features David Sparks. But before I get to him... And before I get to this podcast, which was recorded a couple weeks ago, I'm going to do a little intro, talk about a couple things, and then we'll get into the podcast. What about the Fear of the Walking Dead trailer? Did you guys watch that? I love The Walking Dead. And after watching this trailer, which premiered from the San Diego Comic-Con 2015, I love that they're doing a spinoff of this universe. I really enjoyed that. So go check out the trailer on YouTube. Also... If you guys want to support the podcast and support what I do, go to GoFundMe and search Help Izzy Keep Podcasting. 
whatever you can donate would be awesome. I'm back to work this upcoming week after being off for six weeks, recovering from knee surgery. So I haven't really listened to much podcast um, over that period of time. Maybe just a, a couple, maybe a handful. And that is something I'm super excited about to get back into the rotation of podcast. There's a whole bunch of podcasts that I need to catch up on and put in my rotation. And I'm uh, super excited to get back and listen to those. My knee feels great. I, uh, went, I've been walking about three miles about five days a week uh, each day, walking about three miles. And my knee feels pretty good. I do have arthritis under my kneecap, which stinks and it hurts, but I can deal with it. During my time off, I got to relax a little bit and I got for the first few weeks Got a lot done around the house. I relaxed the first week and healed up. But once I got up and started moving and started feeling like I was healing up, I, it allowed me to clean up a little bit in the garage, straighten up some things. And I, I really feel like I got some stuff accomplished. And then around my birthday, which was uh, June 22nd, I got the Arkham Knight game. <laughs> and it's so awesome. I love the Batman games, the Arkham series of games. Um, this one I didn't like at first. I didn't like how the Batmobile was, but once I went online and I saw this hack where you change the settings, I, I actually found enjoyment in it. And I think it's a great game. And I barely play video games anymore, but I played a few during my time off. I also, during my time off, I went and just actually, today is Friday. Friday, um, let me see the day. I think it's July 10th. Friday, July 10th, which the rebel flag in South Carolina came down today. That's that's big news. So let's see here. I went to Cleveland and a couple of thoughts. I, I go to Cleveland usually during Thanksgiving, but sometimes we go up there to visit family and it was kind of cloudy all the, the whole time. We had to wear a jacket in July, which was really weird. But a couple things about Cleveland. I didn't know that uh, one of the Rockefellers was from, from there and he started his oil empire from there and that Cleveland was like the fifth biggest city in the United States. It was a place where industry was at. And then when industry left, man, there's a lot of poverty in, in the Midwest and places like that. But it's also kind of a cool spot to go to because of its history. And because there's something about the weather, there's something about there's something about being in the Midwest that really hardens people and it really makes them a, a little tougher or so I've heard. Having to deal with the weather, it can be pretty tough on you. And having to deal with the weather that they get in Cleveland is pretty tough to be able to deal with. Statistically, they're like 10 days behind, I think, Portland and Seattle for the amount of days that they are actually uh, where it's cloudy. It's cloudy a lot during the year in Ohio and in Cleveland especially. But Cleveland, I went to the Fine Arts Museum and it's free. It is free to get into the Fine Arts Museum. And the sad thing is I went with my sons, which that's not sad that I went with my sons, but I went with family. And I wanted to read what some of this art was about. I, I realized I'm at the age where I actually, when I go to museums and things like that, I actually enjoy looking at the information and soaking it up. My boys did not. Uh, my kids were totally bored and I was, I felt rushed through the museum. I had such a good time and it made me realize that a lot of my friends, it made me realize that a lot of my friends that do art could have their art in art museums one day. All right. 
We got a lot of noise going on in the background, a lot of stuff going on. We just got back from Cleveland, like I've been talking about. Um, I went to an, a, the Italian district, and we had lunch, and it was amazing. It was really good just, just to be able to have that environment, just all those places, all those different restaurants, the environment there. It was such a good time and good experience. If people say that Cleveland sucks as a city, don't listen to them. There's a lot of great places to go uh, we also saw the inside out movie and the inside out movie was a really good one took my boys and the family that we were there with uh, my wife went too and it was a good movie it had a really good message and it really helped compartmentalize the feelings that people have that you have that i have and especially children i think that that movie will help children deal with a lot of their feelings when when they watch it um i did cry during that movie but enough of all this i have a voicemail from palette of books on twitter you can go follow that dude palette of books he left an, another voicemail i love his voicemail so please if you guys want to leave a voicemail call 937-265-2024 and leave a voicemail for me and remember at the end of the podcast now i feature a segment called izzy's homegrown which features or one band with two songs yeah and it's for fizz button mad town and it's usually at the end of the podcast. I don't have songs at the beginning of the podcast anymore besides the intro. So the end of the podcast features some music from Dayton. So please go check that out. So here's the voicemail from Q-Ball. Hey, Izzy, it's Q-Ball at Town of Books. Andy, what's up? Buddy? What am I calling for? I'm just calling to wish you a happy 4th of July. Thanks, man. I'm away from my friends and family. I'm hoping you and the boys and your wife are watching the fireworks and have a good old time tonight. I did watch fireworks in Richmond, Indiana with Scott Epic and his family and my family because Scott works for G1013. Um, we do a podcast called On the Block if you guys want to go check that out. But Scott is a radio DJ for G1013.com or FM. Um, in Richmond, Indiana. So they had a little roped off section and we sat there and watched fireworks. And uh, there was this dude named John that came up and talked to me about Beard Bomb. They had an intermission during their fireworks. Do you know of, have you ever been to a fireworks display that had an intermission? Yeah, Richmond, Indiana's did. So, uh, but it was still cool. The, the environment was cool. Place was really cool. Fireworks were, were great. It's just, you gotta wonder. Intermission, really? Yeah, that's why I wanted to call. Happy 4th of July. Happy America's birthday. Happy, you know, freedom, man. Yeah, buddy. Be strong. Click on my phone now and things are not doing what they're supposed to do. Um, <laughs> what else do I want to say? Yeah, that was it. Happy 4th of July, buddy. Thanks, man. I really appreciate what you do. I really like your uh, your show with the uh, the, the uh, Miami Valley Skeptics. Yeah. I just downloaded their first podcast. You can hear the fireworks going off in the background. Bam. Um, I haven't listened to it yet, but that was a cool show, too. Keep up what you're doing, man. I love it. And peace, love, hair grease. Later. Bye. Later. Peace, love, hair grease. Did you hear that? I love his ending of his uh, voicemails. So if you guys want to call, call 937-265-2024. I appreciate you downloading the podcast. If you want to go rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, that would be great. And uh, let's get to the podcast with David Sparks, and then we're going to jump into Izzy's Homegrown afterwards. All right, so here's David Sparks. Today I'm here with somebody from the local Dayton, Ohio area. He is a documentarian he's a political activist he's got a youtube show and 
He's a guy that I find interesting, and he has an opinion on the world. I want, wanted him to come on and share it. So let's welcome David Sparks to the podcast. What's up, dude? Hey, how you doing today? Good, man. So let's uh, let's start with your uh, where people can find you, your website, social media, all that. Let let the listeners know where they can go look you up. Um, yeah, you can check me out at um, on Twitter at David Sparks Show. You can go on the web to thedavidsparks.com. You can find uh, my wife and I. We have a regular show we do that covers news, culture, politics. Sometimes we'll just hit life, um, life issues, things that you know are bugging us, things that we love, um, you know, th- those kind of things. And uh, you can also check our music out. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, you can go on to uh, YouTube, and there's if you search for YouTube channel Drexel, Ohio, um, a lot of the stuff going way, way back um, in our catalog uh, comes from them. Or you can check out uh, our new project, Otis Goldsparks in the Arcs, at otisgoldsparks.bandcamp.com. And our latest release, um, we just it's been out in about a week, I think. Um, is up there. It's called Blue Planet Blues, and we've got some live recordings. And uh, yeah, that's I, th- I think it's enough places to uh, to find me. <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw on the website that you had a live recording from um, Sideshow Nine. Yes, yeah, that's that was pretty cool. That was a cool <clears throat> event, at Gym City Podcast. We that was the first place we ever did a live podcast. So yeah, and that, I think you guys were like right after us. Were we really? Yeah, we like we we opened up for the podcast, which. Uh, not a lot of bands usually get to say. <laughs> no, they don't. Um, so welcome to the podcast. Uh, you have a lot going on, and we'll get to uh, hopefully everything. Uh, but let's start out with your origin story. As a podcast listener, I like to hear about the goings-on of people's lives. I like to hear about their philosophies. I like to hear about their points of views. And when I listen to a podcast... The best podcast for me is when I listen and it feels like I'm sitting in on a conversation in the backseat of a car as people are driving. And so that's pretty much with, with the goal of these podcasts is they're just conversations. They're just like, hey, what are you into? What's going on with you? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, David, what's your origin story? Where'd you, where'd you come from? How'd you, how'd you get to this Yeah, place? wow. It is a, uh, it's been a long, uh, long journey. <laughs> to this room that we're sitting in today. Uh, I was born in Dayton at St. Elizabeth's Hospital in 1968, uh, right in the uh, middle of quite a tumultuous time in American history. Yeah, no doubt. And lived in Dayton um, right over back behind Bellhaven Elementary School off of Free Pike, uh, just before kindergarten. My dad was a, uh, a blue, he was a, uh, originally, a, um, after he got out of the Navy, uh, was a Dayton police officer, uh, worked through the Dayton race riots, um, and years later I came to find out that the work and a lot of the, uh, a lot of his co-workers um, and just the work he was doing, he wasn't real comfortable with, and um, left policing came i worked at you know some different factory blue collar jobs and then became uh, a southern baptist preacher wow when i was like five which was a kind of a real uh turning point in the trajectory of our family and 
when we were five, they went down, they took us all, got us all in a U-Haul, and we went down to Williamsburg, Kentucky, to, uh, while my dad went to uh, college, and my mom went, they were both, like, nearly 30 with, like, three kids, and basically just kind of a, a hope and a prayer, and they took off, and both graduated college, like, uh, early, she had a nursing degree, and then we went on what I call an extended, um, tour of small Appalachian coal mining towns yeah. where my dad uh, was like the country preacher. And then um, right before, it was like, like right at the end of my sixth grade year, um, they decided to move back here. They had had enough of Appalachia. Um, and uh, we moved to right over on National, or not National Road, but... Um, off of Union Road, there's apartments across from Kroger. Sure, it yeah. used to be Gold Key Apartments. What what year did you move there? Uh, I think it was like 1981, wow. 82, yeah. <clears throat> something like that. And we lived there for like six months And while my parents like got resettled and looked for a new house. And, uh, and right before my seventh grade year, we moved to Miamisburg. And so I finished uh, the rest of my like second um schooling years you know there and graduated from high school there in 1986 and immediately went to play college football at um yeah i was uh the uh like the most valuable defensive lineman and like all league played on the uh, miami valley all-star team and wow. uh, went and played um a year of football at cumberland college it's yeah and like same place my mom and dad went and decided that was not a good idea for me. Um, immediately after a game, we played t- at Tiffin University, mm-hmm. and uh, I was on the kickoff team, and some dude blasted me so hard, blindsided me, and, like flew through the air. And like for like six months after, and, uh, my bones just felt like jangly, and I would get like un like like weird injuries from doing stuff like walking across the street or. <laughs> and just like it's, I was like, uh, I don't think I want to do this anymore. You know, not you know, it wasn't like uh, like I'm not tough enough. It was just like, yeah, I think I'm going to get hurt, like and be like a miserable forty year old man if I don't stop this. And so I went and did something even dumber. Um, I joined the U.S. Army <laughs> <laughs> right after that, <laughs> hoping not to get hurt. But I didn't get hurt in the uh, U.S. Army. Yeah, and you yeah. you. You probably joined during when it, we didn't have wartime. No, actually, I was in during the the first the Persian Gulf. Okay, okay. I'm an old man. Yeah. Um, uh, the first the Persian Gulf War. I was in the uh, National Ohio Army National Guard, and we were all packed up and ready to go. And uh, then it ended. Yeah. yeah. It was like what a, a day or. It was like a month. Uh, I did get to meet a lot of the guys. A lot of the, we had a lot of guys. Like I was in a combat engineer unit. Um, the, the people who go in and blow everything up. Uh-huh. And uh, I met a lot of guys who came back from that who were. And this was very. This was a big kind of turning point for me. Even though I had like, um, a lot of thoughts about you know the nature of mili- you know, what I call the dark arts and military arts. I a lot like of the it. guys who were coming back from the Persian Gulf, at least the combat engineers, were really shell-shocked. Yeah. Um, not from being fired upon, but basically they went, they walked across the desert for a month and discovered trenches full of uh, 
bodies that have been sliced into multiple parts and we're obviously you can imagine in a hot desert environment yeah. with flies and bugs and all that because what they did they, they essentially they laid down cluster bombs for hundreds of miles yeah upon like the iraqi forces and that's that i got the sense from these guys they were so like kind of like internally um they were battling with this like inside you know they're like oh we're supposed to do good and yada yada but then you're exposed to this horrificness you know and anybody's natural who has like a sense of humanity is just going to be like (gasps) yeah when you see something like that like in person when it like crosses from the abstract to the physical and the real and so uh yeah that kind of that and that whole experience the persian gulf the run-up um i was involved i I got in like a lot of hot, I guess it was called, it was hot water, more political hot water. I came out, I was writing for a newspaper at the time. Um, I was a reporter and editor and uh, I wrote a very um, anti-Persian Gulf War piece that uh, basically, you know, if if you're not in the army, you know, right now you might want to declare conscious, uh, you know, conscious uh, objector status. And, uh, and I, I've, you know, I still, I don't have any, it was actually one of the things I'm probably most proud of in my life. I took a lot of, you know, people looking at me and yada, yada, yada. But when I look back on it now and look back at all the millions of people who have died through this whole kind of, this whole project that's been going on, I like, I stand, you know, I'm like, ah, you know, they should have listened to me back then. Yeah. Right. And so that, that kind of whole era really like, um, propelled me you know and, and working in like media and everything um inspired a lot i guess i get my political views yeah. and views of the world and um seeing how people are very easily swayed um and and our lack of national ability to look into like historical um you know his, history and you know these a lot of these events are very complex and based upon, and not just like good guy, bad guy. Yeah, you know, there's characters who are playing parts. Some of them not very good parts, and some of them very selfish parts. And uh, people die and get sliced up in um, horrible, yeah, <laughs> horrific things. And so, yeah, that whole era like really kind of propelled me to a lot of the progressive kind of activism I'm involved in, and 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 try to you know promote. Yeah, so when do you feel like that came about? Because to be able to become empathetic about the world and get involved in the world and be outspoken and put your opinion out there, you know, for for a lot of people, the two rules that you hear growing up is don't talk about politics and don't talk about religion if you want to have polite company, that they're so divisive, but yet... Uh, I've I've been drawn to politics as well. I've, I've been drawn to religion as well too. But I've been drawn to politics before, uh, when I left the church and I wanted to get involved in social issues. I wanted mm-hmm. to get involved in politics. So, as somebody who had never gotten involved with politics, but grew up in an in an environment where we were on welfare, we we needed help from the government and I saw actual social programs that helped us as a family. And I realized not everybody is abusing those. And some people do need those to be 
lifted up mm-hmm. that um, once I left the church, I started working, knocking on the doors for Obama's first campaign. And I knocked on my own neighborhood door to door. And I didn't realize how divisive politics actually were. I was very immature in my thinking about it. And to be cussed at, to be have the door shut in my face, and to realize there is this team mentality when it comes to, uh, especially Democrats and Republicans at times. Um, but you realize when you talk to people, unless they're in this bubble of Fox News or they're in this bubble, they, everybody has kind of a gray area where they can find some sort of common ground if you can mm-hmm. talk to them. And so... Uh, to see somebody as passionate as you are about political issues and about social issues, it, it draws me to people like you because I know you have a voice, you're passionate about it. And now to hear that you were actually in the military and that you saw the, the horrors. Of- well, I didn't see the horrors. I saw um, the results of yes. people seeing the horrors. I don't yes. want to be like, you know. But you, but you ha- when you see your friends effect- affected by it or your fellow soldiers affected by it, mm-hmm. is it you are kind of seeing uh, the results of things that they had no control over sure nobody wanted to go like uh like nobody wanted to go uh get on the plane and go to the desert yeah and um and do that yeah i, re- I remember that time period and how it was we hadn't had it, any conflict for over a decade or so mm-hmm. uh that that was a kind of a national thing we had some things that the United States were involved in. But as far as like people going, that was a time when you could, you could join the military for college and feel like you weren't going to have to go to war. Yeah. And then all of a sudden that pops up and, and you saw kind of the nationalism that overtakes some people when the United States gets, gets into this national conflict, which carried over to what happened with Iraq and Afghanistan and how mm-hmm. politicians were able to kind of, they were able to dehumanize entire populations yeah. with the help of um, you know this complex web of media, yeah. public relations, and advertising, and we seem to really love to fall for it over and over again. And so, I mean, I I did what I at my at that time when I thought it was the best that I could do. I was on some I was on the talk show here lo- locally. Um, it was like one of the representatives. Um, and actually, today I think I'd probably be thrown in prison for what I did, <laughs> like um, just because they're so they've clamped, they've, be, they've become so authoritarian. At that time, you know, I worked at a newspaper, which was half of my I think of my protection. You know, if I had written what I had written, like as a private citizen without being a member of the media, I'm sure that they would have like maybe come down on me or uh, <clears throat> found some sort of. Yeah, military um, law somewhere buried in the books that they could bust me for not being supportive of the of the political cause. Yeah, um, but you know that to me that was like the most that's that's what America is about. Like, um, is not going along, right? Because that's the country was founded by people who were like, we're not going along with this shit anymore. <laughs> it's over. You know, this is done. This is ridiculous. We're right. not going to, you know, bow to a king anymore. And in a lot of ways, I think, you know, it's been sad to see um, us bow to, like, corporate authoritarianism over and over. And on one hand, despise it. Mm-hmm. But at the, on the other hand, like, love it like a, uh, um, like a daddy. Yeah. You know, an abusive daddy. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, 
my my kids are like the Call of Duty series. My kids and tons of other kids, they love that stuff and to to kind of embrace the that military industrial complex mentality where it's like rah rah we're going to support uh this regime no matter what. It's un American and to voice against what's going on except that the founders of the country were contrarians and if you read all their writings they encouraged everyone else to be a contrarian using principles of the enlightenment where essentially like logic came back into vogue yeah um and you know brought down monarchies because people started you know logically saying how is this one person having this one power-hungry douchebag making all the decisions helping us? And so, yeah, it's really it, it's anti-American to say like you shouldn't quite you know you got to go with the president whatever the president says. That's completely un-American. Yeah, the, the, the bow to to authority that has really taken over this country. Uh, it's we're seeing some pushback against it now. But yeah, that's the most un-American thing of all time. Yeah, you know. yeah, and as. Um so to look back in in your past and fig- when do you pinpoint that you became pa- like fully passionate and wanted to change the world because it looks like your father like <laughs> going back to your dad being a police officer and then a then a preacher like no matter what anybody believes about um the police system or the the uh, religious structure that's out there that when you get and you talk to some of these people that are into it, that really a lot, a lot of them want to help the world. Yeah, he came by it honestly. I mean, yeah. he wasn't like a uh, Creflo Dollar. Yeah. You know, it was a small country preacher where, you know, uh, he had spent a lot of time going to, you know, to funerals and what, you know, those kind of um, life events of people. Yeah. And, w- and was there listening to their problems. Yeah. And- um, I, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, I don't think I'm in any way like, I'm going to change the world. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, I like look back to like, uh, was it Gulliver's Travels? Uh-huh. Where the Lilliputians took down the giant. Um, because, they, you know, all the Lilliputians um, were, they were one little, you know, they held, held one thread right. in this greater mosaic. And so um, I don't, you know, I think if anyone actually thinks they're going to change the world all by themselves, then, you know, they're, they should have people show up at their door with you know and put them into a van with padded walls right but i think that each person you know every you know the world is like a it's a collection like i go keep saying this word mosaic yeah but it truly is like a collection of humanity and as we've seen in the last week this this greater um psychology you know cultural and sociological psychology when it reaches a certain point changes things because it becomes like you know completely irrational for someone to keep doing something that goes against you know the wishes of society we see that um with you know they're wanting to take these confederate flags down now and uh in the whole you know the uh, the gay marriage thing that um was legalized by the supreme court's decision last week and so i think i'm just like a a part of that mosaic and everyone who participates is a part of that. And if you don't participate, then you're really like, you know, Oh, you stood on the sides and, and if you stand on the sides and there's like bad things going on, you're, and you're not standing on the side of what you think is good. And you know, the causes, then you're, 
really contributing to the bad. Yeah, and some people out there might have the point of view of that the whole system at this point is too big to change and that they look at this freighter that, you know, it takes forever to turn around or have any sort of change. And I listened to this episode of uh, WTF with Mark Maron where he interviewed the president. And I, ha- I haven't really listened to the president talk in a couple of years. I became frustrated at the drones and some of the, some of the policies. But after listening to him in a conversation that wasn't a five-minute conversation that was mm-hmm. edited, it was one like this where you're sitting down and you're hearing his point of view. You realize how reasonable and how logical he is about certain things, but how much... Um, how little control that the president actually has over certain issues that that he can't just change things the way he wants them to change. It takes, we don't have a King and that's a good thing. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But there's a sense that people get when you'll see this flip flop that one election, people will vote Republican because the last election they couldn't stand uh, the Democrat Mm -hmm. that was in office. And then people will become, frustrated with the Republicans, so they'll give Obama a chance, or they'll give a Democrat a chance, and they want and then they become apathetic. And uh, what do you say about, what do you say to those people who feel apathetic towards politics at this point, when you're the person, like when I look at you and you seem like you're empathetic to the people Mm -hmm. and to the political situation. How do you stay passionate about politics for one? And what do you say to the people who are apathetic at this point? How do you stay passionate about politics? Um, That's a good question. Um, Because it's really hard for some people. Yeah. Um, I think you have to get a good good BS meter. Yeah. Um, Then a lot of the stuff that you see, um, say, for example, that um, some second-tier states congressman or state rep from Iowa um, pr- proposes something ludicrous. Yeah. And it gets in the media, you know, and all, you know, the, this guy from Iowa is proposing that, you know, we cut all the children's first toe off, you know, Oh, well. but then number one, most people don't realize that this guy, he's a second tier um, state rep from Iowa. He has no voting uh, success of getting anything through. Um, and it's, Essentially, just a total BS political story used to get people to click um, because, number one, the reporter knew that there's absolutely no chance he has. There's so many stories like this I've heard over and over and over. Um, So you have to, number one, be able to have a good BS meter, realize what is politics and what is um, what actually matters to your life, Mm -hmm. you know. A, p- a politician saying, "Oh, they did, they didn't do this or they didn't do that," doesn't really matter. What is the actual language in the legislation that they propose when that they want to um, promulgate when they get into office? You know, what color um, hair they have? You know, how if they're a little heavier or wh- what did they eat at the pancake breakfast? Hopefully, pancakes. None of that matters. It's all just total dressing. And when it comes to the meat of things, like what you are actually able to pass into law. And something you, people have done throughout history, great things using, you know, law. And um, that's what matters. Like the actual 
legislation that someone wants to, uh, and it's hard for, that's tough for a lot of people to follow as well. Um, but yeah, most of the stuff is horse race BS. Um, but if you, but if you're able to get into, um, you know, machinations of, of, you know, of politics some way, shape or form, you are able to, you know, often, especially more at a local level, which brings me to, um, the people who are, you know, they're frustrated with politics and it's a seesaw game. It goes back and forth. Forget about the national and concentrate on your locality. You know, because when you think about like the local political parties here, it's like, if you go to like a democratic Montgomery County democratic meeting, it is like going to a nursing home. (laughs) Seriously. It it, it really is. Um, they, they have like, and even more, um, the, the level of participation at a precinct level in Montgomery County is, I think there's only like 30% of the precincts that have any representation. Wow. So if someone really wanted to get like uh, impassioned and say, let's throw this monarchy of Montgomery County over it, all they really would have to do is identify 200 people from districts around the county who were willing to be involved in that movement. And they could totally like throw the, uh, the old horde out and rewrite the local party constitution to their liking with so it's a lot of it's just like showing up locally and like this idea that um we're going to change everything by every four years with this you know this new person is completely um not paying any attention to the actual infrastructure you know there's a whole infrastructure of politics that have not it's not the president it has to do with you know your congressmen your senators um, your state reps and but more importantly is the party infrastructure. So, you know, if you, if people would actually flood the local parties, you know, whether they be progressive or, um, or, you know, whatever, that's where you're going to make the local distance because the local parties, um, they're the ones who decide who you're going to vote for. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to vote and think, ah, oh, I've got this, I'm voting, woohoo! But you're voting on, a candidate that the local party executive committee has decided they are going to, they're going to put their backing behind. And so you can do all that voting and everything you want, but until like people get actually involved on like a local level, you're still going to be voting for he's here's the people I have picked for you. Mm-hmm. Do you like these? And we've, uh, you know, it, it, for, there's a lot of reasons why um, we've ignored this lo- local level, but if you look at like the Republicans from the eighties, kind of, that was when their whole strategy was to like run for school board, run for city council, run for dog catcher, you know, and that whole um, kind of like what a lot of people see as a problematic conservative movement that stripped, you know, social services and a lot of our public monies and towards private entities and you know corporate interests. Um, that all happened because. On a large part, they got involved in running for school board, running for dog catcher because you know when you because ha- that builds like an infrastructure of the party. Yeah, and, and like yeah, like I said, you make the rules on your local level. Yeah, too. Yeah, and I see, I see. There's there's people out there that um, maybe that they are in this bubble based on how they grew up or the type of people that they're around. They adopt this mentality that doesn't allow them. To really either, for one, listen to the other side, listen to other points of view, or find people that they even want to hang out with. Because if 
if you're around somebody who would say they're a hardcore conservative and you start talking about politics and you say something they're against, a lot of times they'll just shut you down. They'll, yes. they, they won't even I think. I call it the gays. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, if, yeah that, that, that's a, that, the gay marriage thing. Let, let, let's touch on that a little bit since that's no, I mean, been in the G-A-Z-E. News. They get a gaze in their eye like. Oh, gaze in their eye. <laughs> okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. And gaze over. Glaze, I should say. But it's almost <laughs> like there's this team mentality that if you you know, if you find out somebody's rooting for the other team, you don't want to really hear anything that they have to say. Yeah. And how how do we and we'll get to the whole gay marriage thing here in a minute, but how do we as a a public how do we move past that where we can actually sit down and talk to somebody without yelling at each other and without going, you know, you're, you're a closed-minded racist bigot who likes Fox News and, oh, you're a lib yeah, Democrat. That, you just have to realize that that's completely useless. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, like, all it does is, you know, ex- repels people from each other. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, you look at the, a lot of the issues, I mean, like on the presidential race right now, there's a lot of Republicans who are saying, I like a lot of the things Bernie Sanders stands for. Yeah, dude. And, you know, a lot of libertarians. And I've always said, you know, there's a, between like progressives and um, mostly, most conservatives, not like the really hardcore fundamental, like the Bible should rule everything. And, yeah. Um, and, you know, the old you know, Republican Party are mostly like Democrats now. You know, with the, uh, the corporate wing of the Democratic Party, then you have like the left wing. Um, you just sit down and have dinner and not like and talk about the things you agree on first, because there's more things that we all agree on. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of a uh, lot of issues um, that there's a you know um, a unanimity among the American public that we want to improve and we want to spend more on infrastructure spending. We have too many uh, foreign wars going on all the time. We need, you know, there's a lot of things that conservatives and Democrats or and whatever label you want to put on them, right? That, that that people, Americans of all stripes, agree on. We agree on more than we disagree on, and usually the things we disagree on are those like social issues where people are like, "Look, he's a different kind of human being than yeah. you are. Yeah, he doesn't have hair and eyeballs and teeth like you do. He's a He's a Borg who's a liberal Borg who's, you know, and those are the things like the, the gay marriage, um, race, uh, different things like that, that they used to try to divide us. They do. Um, half throughout history, it goes back to like, you know, set up of Greek government and, um, and the layers of society and you got the top and then you got the warrior class and it's all a lot of it's the same, but, um. Yeah, just realize that we we agree on a lot more than we disagree, and with that in mind, you know that, that which we disagree on, you don't have to scream and yell and holler and like it, it's plus it's just ridiculous and gets nothing accomplished. Whatsoever. Right. Yeah, and the gay marriage uh, thing that just happened, which by depending on who you have as your friends on social media or who you have as the people that surround you and your philosophy on it you may you may have a bunch of gay friends and you're like i know people that are gay it doesn't bother me you may not know anybody that's gay and you might have this mentality that's been passed down from your family or from relatives from friends that it's like oh this is wrong 
uh, it's in the Bible, it's wrong, blah, blah, blah. But yet, as, as a society, we see that the Supreme Court has shown a little progression. And I think uh, that goes, that I give so much of that credit for people willing to come out of the closet. Mm. Yeah. And like people actually, like everyone I know knows someone who is gay or has a family member is gay. And it's like, you know, um, that's just they're doing their thing. They don't hurt me. Yeah. They don't bother me. Um, that's their thing. Yeah. And why I should deny them basic human rights based upon it's their thing. You know, right. Anything, anyone who's denied human rights based upon anything other than whatever they're doing is hurting others or, you know, limiting the freedoms of others. Yep. There is no reason to deny them any freedom rights other than if you're what you are doing, like I said, hurts or limits the abilities of others to fully enjoy their lives. And if my neighbor is gay and is married to his, uh, his gay lover, uh, partner, whatever you want to call it, it absolutely, absolutely. I can't think of any concrete way in my life that, it affects me yeah. at all. Um, when I go to pick the garbage up, it's not a factor. When I get the mail. When I mow the lawn, it's not a factor. It's not a factor in anything. Um, and you can think of that. There's a lot of different things that that applies to. Sure. You know, that we we categorize, categorize and you know want to, uh, um, I guess, discriminate against different you know cultures, cultural norms, all kinds of different things. If you just take the attitude like. Does it hurt or limit my ability to um, be free? Then that gets rid of most of the problems. <laughs> it, it, it does. And when when you look at a lot of the mentality of some of the more closed-minded people who believe that that the Bible is the Word of God and that it's it's you know the law. Of, it should be the law of the land. That you know that. It's been marriage has been defined this way for thousands of years, and then all of a sudden, this Supreme Court changes, and now the world is all of a sudden going to uh, plunge into the depths of hell because <laughs> God no longer has protection over the United States. And you hear so many things from people, especially if you have family and friends that are. Uh, all super super religious or they have certain belief systems that you know being gay is a choice and it's wrong and you see the same thing with the cannabis movement where like the cannabis movement you had legal cannabis for medicinal use in California the federal government government would go and raid these shops take the money take the uh the goods and and it would take so much effort for these people that own these businesses to fight it. But yet the same people who are fighting against gay marriage now and going, we're going to stand up for our state's rights, never mention anything about this. Well, that's, that's kind of, you know, there's something that I've always like, where are the alcohol drinkers <laughs> right? Um, in the, um, the marijuana legalization fight. Yeah. And you know, when I, I feel personally, I, I feel like I have a moral obligation not to go to bars Yeah, and, um, frequent, I mean, sometimes I do, I'm not completely, but like, this is what I feel inside. I'm like, well, why should I go support these establishments with all these people are doing, they're taking drugs. Um, and I, you know, I don't have a pro as long as they're not like they 
their behavior is fine. Sure, they're not bothering yeah. anybody. They, that, that's fine. But they're doing something that is equally, it's just it's basically the same thing. You're having a beer to sit back and relax, or you're smoking a bowl to sit back and relax. So why aren't the beer drinkers standing up in mass saying, leave those marijuana smokers alone. Stop putting them in jail. Stop doing, you know, uh, persecuting them for doing the exact same thing I'm sitting here at this bar for. Yeah. And so if you're a drinker out there and you can answer that question, I would love it because I just don't understand why um, we continue to do this and see this blatant hypocrisy and people, you know, their lives ruined, uh, put in jail, kids taken away from them for doing the exact same thing. And it's like scientifically proven that it's not as harmful. Um, we, we can see the effects of uh, someone who's really drunk versus someone who's really high. Yeah. We know who's more dangerous. Right. Um, and who causes more problems to society. And so uh, there's a question for all you bar owners and bar um, aficionados and beer drinkers and home brewers. And when are you going to come out on the side and, and support the uh, marijuana legalization in the, in the dr- war, drug war yeah. movement? I, and I, and I, see it, I see it falling just like gay marriage became legal. I see uh, marijuana legalization happening. But the one, one thing I look back on, and I've coached football before for my son's, and we would have these meetings, and a lot of the people that coach football are involved in law enforcement, and they're involved in um, fire department, and just jobs where they can't partake at all. But how many meetings that we would have at, say, a, a local sports bar, and then these guys would sit and have get loaded. They would have <laughs> you know a few beers, and you're yeah. like, you're probably like. Can you actually drive, or like, would you be if yeah. you got pulled over? Would you be breaking the law based on what you're doing? And really, if they kept drinking, and we know we anybody can look on the videos online and see people. If you don't know anybody that uses uh, cannabis or alcohol around you, you can go online and look at videos of what those things do to you. You can see Snoop Dogg using it all the time, and he's on these talk shows. Doesn't seem any different yeah, than they've one done dry, they've done, uh, I think it was the uh, Colorado or Washington State Police did safety driving tests where they had people smoke, um, you know, greater and greater amounts of marijuana, and they really couldn't find any like conclusive like evidence that they. And I think until they smoked like five joints of like really chronic yeah stuff, and then they were just kind of driving slow right, but it wasn't like. Anything near the problem with like the the alcohol impaired drivers and who smokes that much anyway? Right, right, right. Um, yeah, I, and I I think there's definitely some issues to be worked out. Um, there there are some things out there that we need to have some sort of regulation, some sort of like um, things set in place where there's guidelines to follow. Sure. Um, just just like anything else, you know, mm-hmm. you wouldn't want a, a jar of alcohol uh not showing the alcohol content on it exactly you know so if if somebody let's say if we had legalization come in and they had edibles or they had some sort of things that people used you would want to have them labeled you would want that public to be educated to keep these away from children that you're not going to die from this but you could have a very uncomfortable journey uh with using this and i see like i think this will benefit our area and I think that um, that Ohio, especially, and I don't I don't know how I feel about um, responsible Ohio's uh, point of view from it. I hear 
one side saying it's going to become legal and then we can go in and change change the wording in the Constitution later. So it's, it's, it's easier said than done. Easier said than done. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, so what? Let's get to some of the stuff that that you're doing personally. Let's let's talk about the your show on YouTube and like I'm sit, you welcome me to your house. Yeah. I'm sit, sitting. I see your stu- studio in there, and it's a nice setup, man. And when I was listening to you talk, and you can watch channel the local news channels and hear bits and pieces of politics or this and that, but to hear somebody local to have a setup and to put their opinion out there as you do. Um, what had, what made you start your show on YouTube and what, uh, like how long have you been doing it? Oh, you know, I've been doing it on and off for like two years. Um, I took a big break from it last year. I started doing it for the, the, the young Turks community network. Oh, nice. Okay. I love the, the young Turks. nation. Um, Jeff Waldorf shout out. Um, and just um, I was doing it for a while, and I got really frustrated with politics. I'm like, oh, I'm just on a farm for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then just recently, probably, I've worked with David. You ever heard of David Pakman? Yeah, love yeah. David Pakman. Yeah, I worked with David Pakman. Helped I uh, redesigned his website and put together his whole membership system for him earlier this year, and was seeing what he was doing. I was like, you know, um, I think I just want to do this. Just to just to do it, and um, like I'm, I'm watching you know what's going on politically in America right now, and I just came to this point where I'm like, I, I don't care anymore. I just think I'm you know I really just don't care if people like it, they like it. If they don't, they won't. And um, I've always been a political person. I'm not gonna ever. I just got this. I don't know. This is a really politics can be frustrating. And, commentating on it can be really really frustrating yeah. as well because it's like oh my god so sometimes you feel like you're banging your head yeah against the wall um some of the um the recent going downs politically um i don't know i, I kind of feel like right now i'm on a track that i'm never going to shut up again <laughs> you know I, I have for uh, somewhat extended times um but i, I really enjoy it you know i enjoy Joy. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't personally. I think I'd be very unhappy if I like didn't talk about these things mm-hmm. um, and didn't get them off my mind. And you know, even though you know, I don't have like a millions of viewers or anything like that. Um, to me, it's just like if I sat. It's it's like the thing. If I sat as an alcohol drinker and watching the marijuana smokers be put in jail, I couldn't be like a person who liked what I saw in the mirror. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's what a lot of it is. It's just like, you know, I, I want to be able to like what I see in the mirror and say, like, you know, I, when that went down, I, I didn't stand on the sidelines. Yeah. You know, I did what, you know, what my, my best at that time, at that point in time. And that's really all it is. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. When I, uh, some stuff will pop up on Facebook and you get a, especially if you have a lot of d- different family and friends on there you get a different cross <laughs> spectrum of different people's opinions and ideas and philosophies and everybody's my, learning how to block their racist <laughs> uncle <laughs> my my wife will get so frustrated at me because the, there's something within me that i can't stop from commenting when i see 
something I view as ignorant. And I, I don't do it in a rude or um, uh, ignorant way. I do it in a way that's kind and that presents them another side. Yeah, I try to do I My thing is I just avoid family member yeah. debate. As long as it's like someone I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and then I, you know, I don't like, I won't insult people. Right. You know, unless they insult me and then it's on. And it's on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, but when, when I listen to you and I hear how passionate you are and I was, I was watching some of, I was watching a couple of your shows this morning before, uh, while I was getting ready and I was like, you know, we need people like you out there that have an opinion and that is not afraid to voice it because there's so many people, maybe they can't put their thoughts together and, and put their opinion out there. Maybe they, maybe they're not into what the goings on of the world, but we do need those people who are empathetic about what's going on. And it's like, even though this is a gross, like politics can be so gross and it's so divisive. I'm going to, weed through all the bullshit and try to put the message out there of what I, what I view as important. And, um, like when it comes to conservatives and progressive and liberal and, um, Republican and all that, all the names and boxes that people put people in and they paint a broad brush of, Hey, if you are this way, you must think this way. It's like the, the whole Confederate flag thing for, for one, there's a lot of people who have a mindset that if my neighbor moved in and he flew a Confederate flag, for one, I would feel uncomfortable because I have certain notions of what his attitude about things are based on that flag he's flying. Where if you had a sticker on the back of your car that you supported Obama or you supported um, McCain or whoever or uh, Romney, that you would have a certain idea, especially when the whole political system, the attention is on it and you get commercials all the time Mm. and, you know, it kind of drives people away that people want these sound bites that they don't actually go and they do the research. Politics is a lot better if you go, if you approach it from a a print based perspective Uh as opposed to the broadcast because it's all just horse race, frustration. um, And plus you can, read a lot about like you know what's going on behind the scenes it's not um you know just um ridiculous mudslinging yeah and, and stuff that really doesn't matter there's just like i said there's a lot of things in politics that are just game playing yeah um like there are in every other thing you know like there are podcasters now who are like um scheming to uh take down the first <laughs> the top podcast yeah and their plan to do that and a lot of that's you know politics it's just the same kind of things that go on it is in everyday life that we call it politics but everything is political everything is your toilet paper you buy is political yeah you know th- this room the, you know, the size of this room to some could be political i mean like literally that we use modernized equipment and le- electricity while others are starving we could say that's political i mean and so if you get rid of the fear of politics and just realize everything is political it's uh-huh. not a big deal you know it's just politics is the art of deciding upon things yeah you know and we're going to do that or you're going to cede it over to someone else and that's now do you ever see yourself running for office yes <laughs> yes actually um 
I, I, I've held one elected. I've been in two elections. One I lost. Um, actually, I've been in three elections. Um, my first election I ran for, um, I was a school bus driver for seven years for Dayton Public Schools. Nice. And I ran for union uh, vice president and won. And uh, that's when a really that's when I've kind of became more concrete in politics, other than like the kind of philosophical about it. Um, but actually being involved with it was my union activities, um, which I was able to do things like uh, I, I got thirty over thirty thousand dollars in back pay that was um, not properly um, paid to. Like, I think there was like thirty dry, thirty or so drivers at, at DPS because they pulled a big. Um, flim flam switch swatch with the uh, l- the pay of the lower drivers and and came out after their contract was signed and said, well, we've lowered these rates here without your consent or view. So we it, it ended up having to be this whole process of filing grievances and paperwork to eventually they're like, you know, you won <laughs> because you're right. And here's your evidence, and so that was like I was like, oh, that's what you can do with politics. Like you can get money back for people who are being ripped off, um, and so that was like, yeah, that's been my uh, original like kind of pr- propulsion. Uh, I ran for a union president, um, which I got twice as many votes as the president who I served with, but some other guy came along and made a bunch of horrible promises that you could never keep. And uh, was elected, and then like a month later resigned. And oh, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and so, uh, and then like I ran for Montgomery County um, Central Committee. My wife was going to run as actual on the ballot. Um, she wasn't able to because of a family illness. It took her out of town during the petition drive. And so I said, I'll I'll run for uh, you know I'll, I'll, I'll get myself out there and. Um, be a write-in. So, I, I mean, I literally, like this neighborhood and like every neighborhood in Clayton, I actually walked, um, had all the uh, people who had voted in the primary, in the, in the previous primary, and left, the, had a conversation, asked questions. I mean, literally door-to-door, went to the uh, the precinct, stood in the parking lot all day. I had to keep, like, behind the 100-meter um, mark. And I almost won, mm. actually, as a write-in with which is almost impossible. Yeah. Um, because number one, you don't have the D or the R. Your name's not even on the ballot. Right. Um, but people are allowed to write you in. Um, so I was like, that was very, very. Uh, and, and like I found out that most people have the same things um, that they want in life. And uh, yeah, it was encouraging, actually, even though I lost. Yeah. I was like, you can do this, you know, but you got to get out there and do it. You actually have to do anything, you have to actually do it. Right. You know. Yeah, that's the that's the hard part is getting up, getting up off the couch and instead of shotting at the TV, yeah, actually putting rubber to the road and getting out there and like w- w- being it walking door to door, knocking on people's doors. Mm-hmm. If it, no one's ever done it, yeah. it can be one of the most terrifying things mm-hmm. a person can do because you don't know the reaction you're going to get from somebody. You don't know the kind of conversation. This may be somebody that coaches on your son's. You know, softball team or whatever that you're like, oh, now we don't like each other because maybe he has a hardcore uh, view of of something. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the documentary. Like you've you've actually put a lens on the goings on of the people of Dayton mm-hmm. and your 
you've made a documentary. You're interested in making documentary to the point where now you have a fundraiser to actually get more equipment, better equipment. Uh, let's talk about the fundraiser, and let's talk about uh, your interest in making a documentary about the local area. Because I love documentaries. I've actually thought about making a, uh, a documentary about the history of the music of our area. Um, but, you know, time is what it is, and money is what sure. it is. So let's talk about your the fundraiser, for one, and then talk about your well, documentary. If you, if you can include a link like with your podcast, sure. that would yeah. be great, because it's a really long URL, yeah. and I have no idea. Like, yeah, no <laughs> problem. Indiegogo. But if you go to the People of Dayton on Facebook, um, there's a link there. Um, and it's just we're, we're trying to do. I have a uh, Canon Rebel camera. It shoots a DSLR or high-def video, um, but it only shoots like nine minutes at a time. And... Uh, so what we want to do, the first video, the first documentary, we essentially had no agenda other than like asking people the question, what is life like in the year 2014? A really open-ended, ambiguous question, um, or in Dayton, Ohio, and let them take it from their perspective. <clears throat> um, so we, we were just essentially walking streets and alleys all around the east, downtown west side and we basically kind of like went from east third ended all the way up in drexel um but um the new equipment we're looking for is is hopefully um will let us well not hopefully will let us shoot all day long um so we were i was kind of limited by my actual camera and, mm -hmm. and equipment and we really want to take up the uh, we have a new film it's going to be a full feature film documentary concentrating on what people do to get by mm. whether that's scrapping metal yeah whether that's flipping burgers yep. whether that is working as a high-powered attorney or a blues musician or a guy down at the bus stop selling mixtapes is uh i think it's one of the fascinating things about dayton is everyone's got a side gig yeah like on top of their regular gig yeah like i learned that like working at the uh the bus garage with dayton public like you know, everyone, because, uh, you know, you're not making that much money, enough to get by. And so, you know, someone would have, you know, would bring in, like, homemade dinners, and they'd sell them. Um, so we had a lady, she sold underwear. Nice. <laughs> car. And the guy sold, like, downloaded movies, you know. Um, but everyone's, I'm like, that's the great thing about Dayton is, like, you know, the people are so resilient, and they're figuring out ways to, uh, you know, to make a little more and get by, and uh, and so the movie's going to be about that that the hu the struggle of that hustle. Um, we don't have a name for it yet, but um, but like it's not going to concentrate on like I said like we're going to try to hit a good swath okay. of like a the, you know of different professions at different levels and different you know um, you know socioeconomic situations. Yeah, if and if anybody wants to check that out, if you want to go to the link on this podcast, just go look up this podcast. The link will be there. Like wherever you're listening to it, go to all the the notes and everything, and that link will be there if you if you're interested in helping out. Um, so, so do you want to do like documentaries? Do you see that as something that you want to keep doing? You want? Um, yeah. Um you know, it's like the worst business in the world to actually pursue. Yeah, because like there's like no business. money. Yeah, zero money. So it's like really um, a labor of love. The guy, a good buddy, who's become a really good friend of mine, 
Steve Benish. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Steve, or you ever seen the book Scrappers? Uh, no, uh, it sounds familiar. Okay. Was it was it at Sideshow Ten? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. He's he's the guy that did uh, did that with me. He uh, he's a Dayton Daily News reporter. He reports on manufacturing, business, and economics for the Dayton Daily News. And um, he did a, a photo book called Scrappers. Yeah. Which I've got a copy. I'll let you see here. Um, fantastic black and white photography, and he just roams the streets of Dayton. You know, hey, can I take your picture? Um, and he really, I, I loved his work so much. I interviewed him for the Young Turks channel, and um, I really loved it because he has this empathy in those photos. You know, it's like he does. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I just, you know, I was like, hey, you know, I, I do. I think our work would really jive well together. Yeah. You know, um, why don't we do like a um, a photography slash videography where we mixed two mediums? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how the the people of Dayton came about. And by the way, we want to raise twenty five hundred bucks for new camera and new hard drives. That's all we want. Right. You know, we don't, we're not looking to get rich. We just we're looking for a new camera that we could film all day with. Right. Um, and uh, the hard drives to back up all day shoots which will be massive file <laughs> yeah they are they are big in, in files. storage so yeah especially with uh how with high definition well, you can take I, I know i use a 16 gigabyte um card and that depending on the amount of uh depending on what i'm doing with my with my camera it can make it like an hour or like an hour and 25 minutes out of mm-hmm. that that big of a card um i i Film some of my son's football games, and I'll they'll use it as like game plan for the for the next. Yeah. So you have video hard drive space with when things are getting better, that storage space like it seems like it has to be bigger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that, I I appreciate uh, everything that you're doing, man. If um, you're more than welcome to come back on the po- podcast, if you got mm-hmm. projects going on, uh, when I saw. Yeah, and I didn't realize that you had art at Sideshow 9. You had uh, one of the most controversial and most, uh, I would say, beloved pictures was Obama with his penis was a drone. Mm -hmm. And I I remember going in and seeing that and saying, you know, like the the community, the arts community can be uh, somewhat liberal and it can be progressive. And sometimes when you see something like that, you know, like people can be like, "Oh, that's offensive to the president because they might have." Yeah, I got a little. I got some of that. You did get some of oh, that. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know. But um, I was, I've never really like, um, and I've done this on purpose, like with music and art. I've never been like a member of like or like really gotten heavily involved in like, a com- like on a community type basis. Basically, because I don't like to watch what other people are doing, mm-hmm. and that's not like a that that's nothing to like down shoot there or anything like that i like to concentrate on what i'm doing and yeah. sometimes if i'm thinking about like oh i should do this or i don't want any of their um psychological uh either overt or covert cues to like affect what i do mm-hmm. and so if you you might hate it or you might love it but i'm not gonna let like some sort of social pressure affect that so yeah kind of stay out of like the politics of any kind of like communities or scenes or anything like that 
for that reason. That's and I, I think I that, support what people do. I think that's <laughs> smart. I, I I really think it's smart because I think it allows you like whatever artistic or creative outlet, like a documentary, like that painting, mm-hmm. and and to have something like sideshow that allows you to display it without going. No, we don't we don't want that message here. It's like yeah, this is some art, and you have what like what you're saying is important. For this time, mm-hmm. and it will be remembered. I mean, I, it was definitely one that I remembered. And then to go in and see the people of Dayton, the setup that you guys had for that was one of the one of the ones that when I would go look at the art in there, it was one of the ones that I was drawn to the most because for one, I love documentaries and the way you did it and the and the way you guys had the people. It wasn't you weren't. It wasn't a way to judge people. Or yeah, or a point want. of view, it was to go. These are the pe- people of Dayton. Take with it what you will, you know. Mm-hmm. With these people, these people are a lot of the people that I grew up around. I grew up in East Dayton. There's a lot of people who, once the factories moved out, once mm-hmm. the jobs got hard to to get, and you couldn't take a bus to uh, a lot of the jobs. A lot of the jobs weren't high paying jobs mm-hmm. that you could support your family on. It became a very hard place to to live if you didn't have um, somebody to help you up from your bootstraps. You know, you mm-hmm. couldn't you couldn't find your boots to even pull up those bootstraps. So you you yeah, see a lot of the this struggle. The uh, the bootstrap factory moved uh, to China. <laughs> they did. <laughs> they want to pay lower to to their employees. Uh, but I salute. Um, your your endeavors, dude, and thank you so much oh, for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. That's yeah, dude, it was a, it was a pleasure. Um, and you guys, he, he's going to have a music episode on the Gym City podcast coming up. Um, where where can people go find your music? Otis Gold Sparks, O T I S G O L D S P A R K S dot bandcamp.com yeah and how long have you been recording for what what inspired you to start putting out music oh we've made um this is our fifth full recording like actually original music we put out four records is drexel nice some people may remember drexel on the music scene in dayton um we played played probably every club here in town Cincinnati, Columbus, Detroit, Indianapolis, Lexington, Athens, someplace in West Virginia, I forget, um, Nashville, Knoxville, all the way down to Memphis, um, we, where our journeys brought us. Um, and uh, I don't know how we came upon, I don't know, we just kind of like, uh, we wanted to do something that was less work <laughs> yeah, yeah. than a lot of the... Uh, kind of um orchestrated recordings that you that you get when you're doing like studio type recordings and then um going out um it was my uh my buddy uh brian pelfrey he goes by the name of richard labast who came up with the concept we've always liked um like old recordings of like gospel churches from like the 30s and 40s yeah you know um you can there's a there's a show on WFMU in New Jersey called Sinner's Crossroads that uh, it reminds me of a lot of like the backwoods churches of my youth and 
we always really liked that kind of stuff, that kind of spontaneous. We've always had a real gospel R and B blues type influences, just from coming from like the my parents. My my parents had a real. You know, they grew up on the West Side uh, during the '60s, and so they have a, they was always playing Motown music and that whole like '70s soul music at home. Um, and so that, and then in the, in being in church, you know, I was you know my dad was a church, you know, all the church music. Sometimes we go to like Louisville. He'd do like sermons in the inner city churches up there, which was rude. That was like a tremendously like probably a big experience as far as wanting me to get into that whole um, that whole thing. Um, Did you do revivals and everything like that? Oh yeah, I've been to revivals. Yeah. I've seen people ask me all the time, like, "How do you get your like public speaking and performance Jones from?" I'm like, man, I, I trained with the best of them like, for <laughs> my whole life. You know, yeah. Uh, it, it really, it's not something anymore. I even think about. I can like, I can get up on somewhere and like, and talk for thirty minutes and keep people captivated. If you know, I've got a good thing, and it's just something you do so many times, um, and you learn like show business Jones. You know, I can tell, like, a lot of the speakers on TV, you, you can tell the way they enunciate things, that, you know, Bill O'Reilly is fantastic. Yeah. You know, I mean, as much as the guy drives me insane, yeah. he's really good yeah. at making his point. Yeah. You know, and, like, no one really talks like that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a uh, it's show business, you yeah. know. And, um, yeah, we really like that old, like, kind of Mississippi Delta gospel like feel um and we just decided you know let's just do something where we have no plan there is no plan so otis gold sparks uh, we do have some recorded kind of semi-planned songs on this new thing but it's basically me getting like a little drunk and him kind of just noodling on the keyboards and see what comes out of it I love it, dude. I love it. But you <laughs> so, got yeah, the live stuff is, is exactly um, that. We it's really with no plan. Uh-huh. But let's surf this groove and see how it comes out. And so we've got like I think like five live recordings that we did here in the living room with just that like let me get a little bit drunk so I can get the spirit out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, you you have a a soulful uh, blues kind of feel to your voice when, mm-hmm. when you're singing. Um, and his keyboards, uh, what kind of keyboard does he use? Uh, I think it's an Insonic, but it, it depends on when he's, when we're playing. Sometimes he'll use the Casio, um, but he's always a king kid Casio. He's, he's amazing. Like he is, uh, the only person I've met who plays drums and the keyboards at the same time. Wow. So most people, if they don't, uh, if they're just listening to an oldest gold spark song, uh, Richard is, He's holding down the drums with his left hand and and playing the keys with his right. Wow! And he plays the flute on it. Um, he can play drums. Uh, he can put he he can pick he basically he's the only guy I've ever met. He can play an instrument within like fifteen minutes of picking it up. Like wow! If it's a sax, drum, flute, <laughs> guitar, bass, drums, he's a just a total multi multi instrumentalist and just a, a genius songwriter. Yeah, and and something something that I always like to ask on for the musical episodes when we do is like what what's in a name? What, what's the, what's where'd the name come from? Um, well, my wife's last name is uh, before she married me was Goldstick, 
And so we flirted with a while of changing our name to Gold Sparks. And um, the Otis Gold Sparks in the Arks has to do with the Ark of the Covenant. Um, so there's some like religious connotations, but it's strictly a conceptual. You know, we put out giant lies on our releases about our history because mm-hmm. it's a conceptual band. <laughs> I was wondering about that. I, I saw some of them and I was like, "Whoa!" If it, like like I wonder if this is true, but if this is true, like wow, we're really gonna have some stuff to talk about. Well, par- it's partly true, yeah. actually, and it's based on like uh, kind of our personalities. Yeah, like how it's really more of like our our personality mix. Because um, he's kind of like the staid guy, I'm like um, more of the uh, the energetic um, showman yeah. in the front, and so we use that prisoner guard metaphor. And really, it just I've kind of went over like a lot of my story. I think it'd be a lot. It'd be way too long to put in a one pager. Sure, sure. <laughs> Probably more interesting actually than, or e- equally interesting as the Otis Goldspark story. Yeah, but. Um, yeah, we're like everywhere you send music now. They're like, "What's your story?" Yeah, what's your story? I'm like, how about what? Won't you listen to the songs, man? Won't you try that, dude? And just ask us about the songs. Like, you want to know my life story? Like, this is about music. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. Yeah, so we just made up a ridiculous uh, story that uh, could probably happen uh, I somewhere. It. I dig it. I dig it. Yeah, when I was reading, I was like, I was like, whoa! I was like, they're coming from a place. I was like, there, there's some juicy stories here. Yeah, but we, I, but we I actually d- got I some it. juicier stories, but it's like that we can use that one to keep our um, personal lives intact. <laughs> yeah, right. Not like really pissing people off <laughs> or doing anything like that. So, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, dude. Hey, no problem. Yeah, man. Um, uh, bef- before we leave, go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you again on social media and all yeah. that. Go to Twitter, at David Sparks Show. You can find me at on Facebook, um, David Sparks Show. And go to thedavidsparks.com. You can find everything there. If you can't find anything, just there's a contact form there. You can send me an email. You can email me at david at thedavidsparks.com. Nice. If you guys want to know more about what the Gym City Podcast is doing with stuff around the Dayton, Ohio area, which covers music, it covers food, it covers politicians, it covers all sorts of different spectrum of our area, please go to gymcitypodcast.com for more information. And follow Gym City Podcast on social media to keep up on what's going on there on Facebook, uh, Twitter. You can also go follow me at the Izzy Rock on all forms of social media. Please go to theizzyrock.com to catch up on what's going on with me. If you want to uh, check out my other podcasts, if you're listening to this on Gym City Podcast, I do two other podcasts called Tells from the Hard Side and one called On the Block with my co-host Scott Epic. This podcast will be, uh, like I said at the beginning, it's episode 177 on Tells from the Hard Side. So, Call the voicemail. Send me an email at theizzyrock at gmail.com. If you're a band that wants to be featured on a storyteller episode, you can uh, email me at izzy at gymcitypodcast.com. Send me some MP3s so I can check out your music, and we'll schedule schedule you for an episode. Uh, where we're recording, when we record at Folio Design House, we are booked until October there. So 
Uh, thank you to everybody that is already being involved in it and helping with the success of it. And I really love being involved with it. Um, we're coming up. You can go check us out at the Miami Valley Music Fest. We're going to have a booth there. Uh, there's tons of great music there, tons of great community. So if you want to come out to Troy at the end of July, uh, July 31st and August 1st, we will be up there in Troy at our booth and enjoying the music. Guys, come out and hang out. We'll be recording some podcasts there so you can come and get on the podcast if you want and just enjoy life. All right. Enjoy your summer. Thank you so much for uh, David being on. And oh, you're welcome. Th- thank you guys for listening. And take care. Go rate, review, and subscribe to whatever podcast that you listen to, but especially this one. So thank you guys. Later. Yeah, you can just splice this in wherever you need. Yeah, yeah. I um, uh, this is after the podcast was recorded, but um, we're back with David Sparks. I want to talk real quick about the Dayton Informer. Let's let's talk about that. Yeah, the Dayton Informer is a uh, well, it was a uh, a full time news video website that I started after I graduated Wright State University in 2011. I uh, went back later in life to school and. Um, didn't have anything to do that summer, so I'm like, I might as well start an online news video service by myself. <laughs> Not doing anything. And so, uh, yeah, I just started showing up all around, you know, um, different places in Dayton, council meetings, neighborhood gatherings, all kinds of different things. We ended up doing like 500 videos, I think, which you wow. can still find on uh, YouTube.com slash Dayton Informer. We did investigative journalism. We broke up a, broke open a scandal at the uh, the county jail that the uh, the state pharmacy board uh, had big problems with uh, the way they controlled their narcotics a uh, lot a lot of problems we had a whistleblower confirmed all this got like it was a fantastic experience we did like 500 videos just about wore me out though um yeah. trying to get it off the ground if i did it again i would have had a lot more money um in my wish state uh to do it but um, it was a fantastic thing. We did a lot of great, and it led to the people of Dayton. Yeah. Um, we kept all the videos up, kept the URL, and um, you can see the people of Dayton at DaytonInformer.com. Uh, right now, you go to the website and just click watch, and it's all in the screen, and you can see it. And so it was a journalistic endeavor. Um, the Dayton, I think, really really needs. I, yeah. I think Dayton really needs an alternative media that does real journalism. Besides, what the the mainstream broadcast outlets basically do: tragedy porn, weather, and sports. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was. That's what it, it is. What it is. And um, you can go see the website on there and a lot of the photographs we did with the people of Dayton. And I'm going to keep that as kind of like a a place to showcase a lot of the work and documentaries I'm doing. Because cool. they're all based around Dayton, and even like with the uh, the hustle theme, you know that's such a Dayton theme, and these people they got to find some way to get their hustle on, yeah. You know? And everyone's you know, and that's one of the things that makes me love like uh, people around here because you know they're getting it on somehow. They are, man. <laughs> they are. Yeah. Well, well uh, be killed. Thank you for sharing. Uh, you got uh, DaytonInformer.com? Yeah, DaytonInformer.com. You okay. can, uh, or if you're on YouTube, you can just type in YouTube.com slash DaytonInformer, and uh, you can see all of the videos. We've, we're the first uh, news crew to ever film a Dayton View Hustler gathering, um, which the county sheriff claimed was a 
a giant gang, which when we did some research into it, we found out that it was just a nickname that people in the neighborhood used. It went back to a roller boogie club in the 1970s, and um, the well, essentially the sheriff's department was using this moniker to uh, apply gang affiliation with uh, just about anyone arrested in the neighborhood, and then you can add more, you know, add more years onto people's sentences mm-hmm. if you can say, "Oh, you're in a gang." Or you have some sort of marker, and it's like a, it, when you go to Dayton View. I mean, there was hundreds of people at this thing we went to, and they're all like, you know, we're all DVH. It wasn't like a gang, and people will tell you that. And there's a lot of problems with um, these police departments labeling entire neighborhoods as gangs. Yeah, and we see with mass incarceration what that allows um, them to do. Right. Well, that's cool. I'll definitely have to go check that out. Um, I have some catching up to do uh, with that. Do you ever see yourself putting out like a Dayton Informer podcast? Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, if I ever if I ever started an alternative media company again, I would seek probably a quarter million dollars in funding before I did it. Yeah, and people were like, "What?" And that's that's essentially to pay like three people salaries for three years, yeah, to get you started, right? Where you can build that audience and you can build ads because for a while you're not you're just basically not going to be making any money and you're going to be uh, seeking income, yeah, while you're building an audience that's not really big enough for advertisers to say, I want to support this, right? So yeah, there's a period where you just don't make any money whatsoever, yeah. and like, that's why seed money is, you know. Sometimes super important. Yeah, you know. yeah. With uh, anybody who is planning on getting into podcasting, I was actually thinking about this recently. That um, a lot of people want to get into it, but they're like, you know, what what's what's involved? You will put way more money into your venture until it, it, that you won't be getting out. Yeah, yeah. Like it. If you don't have the time to promote, you might not even find your audience, and then you spend all this money on equipment, and you're like, why am I even doing this? It's definitely a labor of love to go and record and then edit and put out. Um, but to even start it up, it takes a little little bit to go. So when you hear David say, say that he would want that much to start it back up, to do a lot of what a lot of quality of work with what you would want to do with mm-hmm. the vision. You would need something like that to, yeah. for people to be dedicated. Yeah, and to know? have, like I said, that initial like start, start business starter buffer. Yeah, until you like you know, oh look, we've got twenty thousand regular visitors every. We've got fifty thousand. You know, when you get those kind of numbers, then people, oh, I want to pay money to be yeah involved to have my you know people see me involved with this and. It's getting to it's getting that hump. It's very hard, and you see a lot of so many media organizations like unable to get over that hump because it takes you know it takes a while. It does it does yeah. take a while? It's a lot of hard work, man. You don't realize you know all of the uh, some of it will drive you mad. You know? Yeah, um, and I'm haunt, I'm I'm haunted today by some of the interviews I've done. I was sat in this living room, interviewed mothers whose children were murdered. Wow, and, really? Yeah, and um, I've done a lot of that kind of stuff, and it's just it's emotionally, it's hard. Yeah, it, it is hard. It really is hard, and then, then try to like do all that, do the video editing, uh, sell all the ads, and be the face, public face. It was naive on my part to 
take upon that much um, responsibility. Yeah, because <laughs> I wanted to get something going early. But it uh, led to good, better things. You know, when I first started Tells from the Hard Side, I, I had family members on, and my vision was to archive my life and the things that I was interested in, and I wanted to tell a story about. I wanted to tell my origin story through interviewing family members and uh, putting them on and doing a couple of those interviews, you realize, like, you, you hear stories and it just, it would be like scabs just ripping off <laughs> where you're like, this is just gut-wrenching stuff that emotionally, it's really draining. Mm-hmm. Like, not only to listen back and know, hey, other people are going to listen to this, but actually go without judgment to sit and have these people just tell their story when they're your family, mm-hmm. sometimes that can be so tough. So I, I definitely understand that perspective where you're coming from. Yeah, and it'll, it will it will totally change. I mean, I always wish, you know, you hear a lot of, after whatever tragedy, fill in the blanks, that happens when someone goes and shoots a bunch of people, and then, you know, a bunch of, and eventually you hear that, you know, the, uh, everybody needs a gun, it'll be safer. Everyone who's like, uh, pro-gun or no pro-gun, if you... If you want to have a gun, I always think that you need to sit in a room with mothers um, whose children have been murdered by um, by guns for an afternoon, and then after you make it through that, see if you want one then. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, David. I appreciate uh, everything. This this will be spliced in because this was after the podcast uh, was over, so I'll splice this in, and then we'll say our goodbyes now. Goodbye. From my garden, brother. Homegrown. Thank you very much. Speaking of homegrown. Wednesday, created by Bad Andy on FizzButton.net. What's up, guys? Welcome to Izzy's Homegrown on FizzButton Madtown on FizzButton.net. Featured on the Rock Request Wednesday show, hosted by Bad Andy. Follow him on Twitter at A-T-E-R-H-A-L-L. So Izzy's Homegrown is a feature that I release for the Rock Request Wednesday show and for the end of Tales from the Hard Side. And it features two bands from the Dayton, Ohio area or the surrounding area of Dayton, Ohio. And it features two songs to showcase the bands from my area. And I hope you guys dig it and I hope you check it out. And please go to these bands websites go search them on youtube go tell them you heard them on the podcast so the first band i want to play is a band called close the hatch i had on a, as a guest on my podcast a guy named Stephen barton who runs red moth llc or red moth records and he was a really really cool dude and it turns out he's involved with some cool projects one of those projects is close the hatch which is a post-metal act from dayton ohio the, their short, short description on their bio 
says four people making noise with the instruments. Just think Deftones meets the band Isis. You guys can go check out some free music at closethehatch.bandcamp.com. The song that I'm going to play for you is a song called Grit and Fire. And you guys go search the album that Grit and Fire is located on, which is To Collapse in Absentia Green. It's from 2014. Here's the song Grit and Fire by Close the Hatch.
So the second artist I have for you is a group that I featured on the Gym City podcast on a storyteller episode, a music storyteller episode, and it's a band called The Flesh Pets. And these guys, the long description that they have is edge of consciousness, dream-layered guitars, speaker-ripping bass, and adrenaline pulse drums. It says, growing up in Dayton, Ohio, the Broom Boys have been jumping around bars and bands since age 14. After a slew of drummers, they finally arrived on Justin Barlow, originally hailing from Maryland, then shortly after, Eric Bluebaum. They got together to create obscurest experimental rock and roll. They don't sound like anyone else. They sound like no one else. You guys can go check them out. Go search The Flesh Pets. And this track I got for you, I'm going to play the song Trance City Limits by The Flesh Pets. Fire! 
I'm Justin. I'm Jody. From the bad parent. <laughs> this could be a while. All right. Hey, I'm Justin. I'm Jody. No, that doesn't work either. <laughs> now I know why nothing ever gets done in Hollywood. <laughs> hey, Jody. Yeah, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Jody. Hi, Justin. Do you like guys with beards? Um, sometimes. Sometimes? What about bald heads? Most of the time. What if there are guys with beards and bald heads with just deep rivers of blue eyes that just say, I love you? I tend to marry them. <laughs> <laughs> now, what if they're just a genuinely good dude, too? Um, I just friend them. Befriend them? Not befriend them. friend them. Not friend them? That sounds like a Facebook thing. What about thing? be friendly with them? Not too friendly. Not too friendly? Oh. Well, the Izzy Rock meets those requirements. He's bearded. He's bald. He's got those deep rivers of bluey, bluey eyes. You mean he's got triple Bs? Yes, triple Bs. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got a couple podcasts that he does. I knew that. Yeah. Tales from the Hard Side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On the block with his bestest friend ever, Scott Epic. Mm-hmm. And then he also produces the Gem City podcast, which is a local, like, artsy-fartsy type podcast in the Dayton, Ohio area. So, Well, who knew? I know. I, I, basically, what I'm trying to say here is he's a good guy. You should go listen to him. Give him, a, give him a shout out. And if you like his stuff, you know what? Subscribe to him on iTunes. Also, you can leave him a comment. Rate, review, and subscribe, people. We'd appreciate it. And so would he. Yes, yes, he would. Oh, He's a, he's a dad, too, so the Bad Parenting Podcast loves the fact that he's a dad, so that helps out. Dads also, are great. Dads are great. Two cool sons. See, good dude. Reason good kids. We need more people like him. I agree. So, yes. Yes. Listen listen to Izzy's shit. It, it's awesome. Agree again. All right. Well, until next time. Bye. Bye. Red Moth LLC is a local company with a firm belief in community and the cooperative spirit. Releasing both music and film in the Dayton, Ohio area, along with other national releases. Red Moth LLC is funded solely by the artists associated with the company, and with the support of local listeners like yourselves. You can find out more about us by going to www.redmothrecords.com. Be sure to check us out on Instagram, at Red Moth LLC, and you can find us at Twitter, at Redmoth underscore records. If you would like to donate to the cause and help support a local company... Go to www.gofundme.com slash redmothllc and join the Red Moth Survival Initiative. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.